All right, so this morning we are reading from the book of Acts, the 15th chapter, starting at verse 13. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Steve. Well, good morning, church. I think we can legitimately say today we will accept the name God's Frozen Chosen, you know. We always used to joke about that. I said, no, I'm I'm living up there. In fact, I sent a picture back of my uh, car's thermostat this morning. It said minus one degrees. I said, oh, I got to take a picture of this. And uh, so anyway... One dear friend said, well, you're the one who chose to go up there. <laughs> so, but anyway, God is at work. And uh, I, not that I ever want to have one of the other staff members sick, but when Brad called me early this morning, I said, yeah, I'm game. I'm loaded. Because what I've been doing, I've been working on a uh, Bible study that we're going to teach in one of the small groups on Friday morning uh, with Linda Smith. And it's called the Tabernacle of David. And it's a topic that... I don't know, it's really God's spirit has been putting it in my heart because I'd never heard of this phrase, you know, a few years ago. And I think for some of you, if you're honest, you're going, I don't know what in the world you're talking about, but all I can know is this, God's going to do something in our church this year, and it's related to this. It's been on the hearts of all the pastors, and it's just something that God is stirring up. How about, have you heard somebody say, what do you think God's doing? What's God going to do in 2024? Well, all I know is this for certain, Jesus is closer to coming back today than he was this time last year. How many of you know that's a heavy truth? Yeah, we're closer. We're closer today than we were yesterday. And people say, well, uh, when do you think? You think Jesus is coming back? And I'm going, absolutely he's coming back. He said he would. In fact, he gave us some signs. He said, look, when you hear wars and rumors of wars, When you uh, see famines and earthquakes and pestilences and, you know, I'm going, are you kidding me? They're everywhere. He says, and they're like a woman in travail. Well, women, I'm glad God chose you all to bear the children and not us guys, right? Yeah, yeah, we needed you to do that. In fact, of course, if it had have happened, us guys, we would have taken it like a game. Oh, man, did you hear about, did you hear about uh, Andy? You know, he pushed a 4-7, you know, before he had delivery there. You know, I, I, we would, we'd make it a competition, I'm confident. But anyway, he said that the coming of Jesus is, is compared to a woman in travail. And what it says, the birth pangs, they get closer together and they get stronger, Now, I have not personally experienced that. I have watched it. But you ladies know what I mean. You're going to get this a whole lot more clear than the men. The birth pangs get stronger, and they also get closer and closer and closer together until it's time for that baby to be delivered. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. Things are intensifying. Things are speeding up. 
And Jesus is one day soon, I believe, his, it says his, his foot's going to touch Mount Olive, the Mount of Olives. Guys, that's in Jerusalem. We wonder why so much conflict is going on over there. Hey, God, the devil is messing when God's getting ready to do a blessing that we're not ready for. He's coming. Can you say amen to that? Now, what I'm talking about really doesn't have anything to do with that, but I wanted to say that first. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I want to say this too before I open up this scripture. Uh, men, on the 27th of this month and two weeks from yesterday, we're having our uh, men's ministry breakfast again, okay? I just wanted to get that out there. Please make a note of that. Let me say, wives, we're going to have a men's breakfast, and you're going to want your husband to come. So mark that on his calendar, all right? There you go. Well, look over in the book of Acts, chapter 15. If you have it, it's going to be up on the screen. This is something that, that is... Uh, Historical, and I've got to be saying honestly, as much as I've read the Bible and as much as I, for years, I just breezed through this passage without any real understanding of what it was talking about. Here was the situation God was moving. God was moving. I mean, Jesus Christ had come. He had paid the penalty for all of our sins and the sins of both the Jews and the Gentiles. Those are non Jews. He had paid the sin penalty for all of us, all the world forever. He had paid that penalty, and he was buried, of course. He was, he was, he was uh, uh, resurrected. He went, ascended back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, and he was working. The Spirit of God was moving all over the world. In fact, not just in the Jews who Jesus came to first, but he was ministering and revealing himself in power to the non-Jews. That's us. We're called Gentiles. Okay, so they had a big problem, though. They, the, the big question was, do these Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be Christians? And the answer, of course, is no. But boy, they had a hard time with that. Do these new Gentile Christians have to adopt all of the Jewish customs that we have flow, let flow over into our walks with Jesus Christ? And of course, the answer is no. Big problem, though. Big problem. And so they had this giant conference. It's called the Council at Jerusalem. It's in Acts chapter 15. I mean, in everybody, who's who of the early church was there? I mean, it says all the early, uh, all the early apostles. It mentions the apostles, all of them marked by name. Uh, it says even some of the sect of the Pharisees uh, who had gotten saved. Those are the troublemakers. But they were there. Peter was there. The apostle Paul and his, his partner Barnabas, they were there. And of course, Jesus' earthly brother James was there. And so they talked about this whole thing about what does a person really have to do in order to be saved? And then we know it's, it's faith. It's grace and faith. It's putting our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us. And that's only because God is merciful to you. He basically said, you'll never be good enough to say, God, you owe it to me, right? So here's what happens, though. So they're in the midst of this, and finally, James stands up. How many of y'all been in a meeting where everybody's giving their opinion, and then one person stands up, and it's kind of like it all comes together? How many of y'all, yeah, we've been there. The word of wisdom's coming. And so James, Jesus' earthly brother, says, brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. You go, who's Simeon? We're going back to the Christmas story now. Simeon was that guy who was waiting in the temple 
to see the Messiah. God had told him through the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Well, you remember the story? Uh, uh, Mary and Joseph came in, had Jesus, and, and uh, Simeon was the one who said, this is the light of the Gentiles, the hope of all Israel. So he, he's referring back. Remember, Simeon prophesied that the Gentiles were part of God's plan. Verse 15, with these words, the prophets agreed. Now, I'm going to say a whole lot in a short period of time, so thanks for taking notes. He, he, he quotes an Old Testament prophet named Amos. Amos lived about 220 years after King David had died. And he prophesied something that James repeats here, and listen to this. This is what he says. He says, guys, we're summing up this whole question about do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be saved? And he quotes this verse, which just seems totally irrelevant. I mean, to me, it doesn't relate. This is what he says. He says, in the last days, after these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Will you say tabernacle of David? Tabernacle. Now, I read this I, a lot. I, I really read the Bible a lot when I was first saved. And, and I know I read this and read this and read it. But somehow, I never once asked myself, what's the tabernacle of David? And maybe you're there. I, I know a few of you are. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it so that the rest of mankind, that's us, may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Okay, hang with me here. We're going to do some stuff. So the question on the table was, do Gentiles, that's us, have to become good Jews in order to truly be right with God? The answer is going to be no. James quotes an Old Testament prophet, and it's about rebuilding something called the tabernacle of David. Now, let me just tell you, this is not the temple. And some of you are going, Pastor, come on, is this going to get any better? Yes, I promise you, okay? Because this is something that God says he's going to do in the last days. So when somebody asks me, and that has happened a couple of times since I've been here, uh, Pastor, what do you think God's doing? And I went, I know one thing he's doing, he's rebuilding the tabernacle of David. And they go, what? I said, you need to come to our Friday morning Bible study. We're going to do that on this. He's rebuilding the tabernacle of David. That's something he said he was going to do. And you say, why? So that more people can be saved. So let's, let's dive in here, okay? What was the tabernacle of David? And will you be honest with me right now? How many of you have never heard of the tabernacle of David? Come on, be honest. Okay, all six of you guys. I'm going to preach looking at you, okay? So don't be intimidated. No, I, I mean, honestly, we've all heard that, but what is it? I didn't know, and I, I got a doctorate degree. You go, you're kidding me, you? Yeah, but, but, but what is the tabernacle of David? Okay, first off, what was the tabernacle of Moses. Y'all remember some teaching on that? How many of y'all have seen the movie? That helps a lot. You know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That'll help you get into it. The centerpiece of Old Testament worship, it's amazing, was centered around a piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. 
the Ark of the Covenant was a place, was something that God had told Moses to build. It's over in Exodus 25, if you want to turn, if you want to read off the screen, I think it's up there. And in Exodus 25, God was showing them how he was going to reveal himself to those people. Now, guys, God's always doing that. You got to know this. Uh, I know at the end of the last service, we were praying for families that had family members that were separated from God. And can I tell you, we all have people that need to know Jesus. But here's the thing. They don't just decide, oh, I want Jesus. You can't do it. You didn't decide, oh, I want Jesus. God is always working and revealing himself to people. That's how it starts. God is always the one who initiates a work in the hearts of people that he created. And that's what he did with Israel. He started showing them who he was. And he revealed certain things and he would do certain things and show new characteristics of his nature and who he was. Well, when he started these people of Israel, he brought them out of Egypt. He says, this is what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to build me a tabernacle. This is the tabernacle of Moses. He said, I want you to have this furniture in it. But the centerpiece is going to be the Ark of the Covenant. He says, it's going to be a box. He gave the dimensions of it. He says, you're going to cover it with gold. He says, inside the box, you're going to put those Ten Commandments that I gave you on Mount Sinai. So those original Ten Commandments were placed inside that Ark of the Covenant. He says, now Moses, you're going to put a lid on top of it, and it's called the mercy seat. That's where the blood offering, the blood that you get from your sacrificial offerings, you're going to sprinkle it. Now, this is God. Wasn't my idea. This is how he's choosing to reveal himself. He says, on top of this mercy seat, you're going to have some angels carved. You're going to have the wings going up, and they're going to have their wings going sideways. It looked like a throne. And this is what he says in Exodus 25. He says, Moses, from the mercy seat... I am going to meet with you. From the mercy seat, I am going to speak with you. He says, from the mercy seat, you're going to experience my glory. Now you say, what? All because of a a piece of furniture? Yes. God's choice. He's revealing himself to a people. He's trying to bring a people to himself. And he says, this is is going to be something that I'm going to lead you to do, and I'm going to show you who I am. Now, from that mercy seat, God directed Moses, God directed the people, then he directed Joshua, and it was all part of God's display of power in the earth. Now, y'all hanging with me. This in the tabernacle of David yet. Y'all still with me? That wasn't very affirmative, but I appreciate your effort anyway. So anyway, the Ark of the Covenant was central. But now here's what happened. Israel backslid. You know what I mean by backslid? That's a, that's a Bible. I mean, that's a churchy term. It just means, man, they blew it. They blew it. They blew it. They blew it to the point where they, they, they were here with God, and now they're way back here with God. Anybody ever backslid? Okay, all of some of you that are, didn't raise your hand, you're lying now. That's how you get on your path to backsliding, so be careful. We all, we all have had that experience. Well, they were awful at it. And anyway, they got into a trouble, and God allowed the nation of Philistia, the Philistines came and attacked them. And, and the Philistine army was whipping them really bad. And so the elder said, hey, 
I know what. You guys got beat so bad yesterday. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's take it out of Moses' tabernacle, and let's carry it into the battle. And when the Ark shows up, hopefully God's going to show up, and we'll clean their clocks. It'll be all over with. I mean, it'll be, you know, uh, fourth quarter and done. It's over. So they do that. They get into the battle. They take the ark of God, the earthly throne of God on earth, and God allows them to be defeated again. You got to understand, they were a mess. The priests were all immoral. They were taking everything for themselves. I mean, they were so backslidden. And God says, guys, I'm not with you. The two, two of the priests were killed. There's one, well, their dad, when, they heard, when he heard about the mess that the Israel was in, he fell off, he was a big heavy guy. He fell off his horse, or he fell off his chariot, broke his neck, he died. It was a mess. And the ark got captured. Now, y'all are hanging in here, and I appreciate it so much. I promise there's going to be some relevant application in a little bit. And so the ark got captured. They captured God, right? I mean, God got captured. Now, here's what they did. So originally, the ark, God's meeting place, God's place where he reveals himself was in the tabernacle of Moses. Okay. It was, uh, so here's what happened. You can read it in 1 Samuel. In fact, there's a lot. So here's what happened. They took the ark back to their hometown, Ashdod. And they had their own god, okay? Now, the Philistines lived on the coast, so they had a fish god, right? If if you're going to be a fisherman, good to have a fish god, right? So Dagon was half fish, and the upper body looked like a human. So he's kind of like, you know, Aquaman, I guess. So he, he, he was looking pretty good. Well, the only thing, they put the ark in there. They, they left, turned the lights out, I guess, for the night. They come in the next morning, and Dagon, the statue of Dagon, had fallen over in front of the ark. They said, that's not good. So they set Dagon back up, and, of course, the next night, they turned the lights out again. They come back the next morning, and Dagon was beside himself. I mean, it was awful. He had broken in half. All that was left down here was his fish body. His arms were off. His, the head of the man was off. And they said, oh, this is not good. That wasn't half of it. Now, I promise you, you're not going to believe this part. But just write this down if you're taking notes. God knows how to get someone's attention. Can you say that with me out loud? God knows how to get someone's attention. Because in 1 Samuel 5, uh, this is what happens. God says that the, whole, the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites, and he ravaged them and smote them. Now, my New American says tumors. If you read that in the King James, they just transliterated it. It says with hemorrhoids. You say, that's not in the Bible. Okay, open it up. Look at it for yourself. First Samuel chapter 5. God smote them all with hemorrhoids. Don't you, um, let me just say it again. God knows how to get someone's attention. Amen. We just have a little humor. You got it? Yeah. God got their attention. It says they all 
had hemorrhoids. They all had tumors. Now, I looked up hemorrhoids in a Hebrew dictionary, and it says those were tumors in the lower extremities of a person's private area that caused great pain. I went, he got their attention. So here's what happens. The, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 see, I had never, I, when I started reading about the Tabernacle of David, somehow I got over into this stuff, and I said, where have I been? I know I've read my Bible a few times. I never knew that God gave people hemorrhoids. Now, every time I hear about it, so I go, hmm, I won't tell you about a Bible story I read one time. So he smote the whole land with hemorrhoids. Not only that, but we keep reading, he also flooded the place with, my, with mice. Now, if, if the hemorrhoids weren't bad enough, he, mice were everywhere. It was like the plagues of Egypt. I mean, people woke up in the morning, there's little, little, you know, little, little mice running over your neck and running around and, and those little brown spots everywhere. And it was nasty. It was awful. It got their attention. Now, here's the thing. God knows how to get our attention. And I can testify that when God needed to get my attention, when I was a young man, he knew how to do it. I was partying. I was into drugs. I was into my girlfriend. I was into making money. I was into cars. I was into everything but God. And uh, he spoke to me through a dream. And he showed me my death that was coming. And he showed me that it was just the consequences of my sin. And all I can say is God got my attention. Okay? And uh, my eyes opened up. My ears opened up. And for some reason, the next night, I was willing to go to a meeting where I heard a man preaching about the lordship of Jesus. Now, all of that just to say is, some of you, even with a smaller crowd here today, you see, God knows how to get our attention. But it isn't to zap you, it isn't to condemn you, and it isn't even to give you situations, tumors. God wants your attention so you can hear what he's trying to say to you about how he feels about you, that he loves you, that he has a plan for your life, a good plan. That's his purpose. We're all about changing our situations, right? We want our situations changed. Can you just write this down if you're taking notes? You see, God isn't about changing your situations. He's, he's interested in using your situations to change you. God allows situations. God can even orchestrate situations in your life in order to get your attention just so he can reveal who he really is to you. He's not the, he's not the zapper. He's not just a tormentor. He wants to bless you. He wants to show himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you that he, he's a merciful God. Now, we're going to see the Ark of the Covenant is this picture because, yes, there are laws. Yes, there are rights and wrongs. Yes, there are some do's and do nots. But the thing is, all of the law of God is covered by the mercy seat, which is the mercy of God, the grace of God. And God wants us to see that. And he did something historically in the life of King David. So well, I thought I was going to be hearing about Ruth. Well, you are a little bit because King David was actually Ruth's great-grandson. Yeah, Boaz and Ruth had kids. Well, anyway, so what, ha what happened to the ark? It got captured. It's over in the Philistine area. Everybody's, the God's getting broken up. Everybody's getting 
uh, hemorrhoids and everybody's having mice everywhere. And they came to their sense. Well, first off, it says, hey, man, let's get it out of Ashdod. Let's send it over to these people in Gath. Those were countrymen. They were supposed to be friends. Let's bless our friends, too. So they sent it over there, and everything broke out over there. They sent it to Akron, which is another big city in the Felicia. Hey, let's bless them, too. So they sent it over there. And finally, the five main territorial rulers got together and said, look, we've got to get rid of this ark. It's killing us. Well, so they came up with a plan. Now, here, we're already in 1, Corinthians, I mean, 1 Samuel 6 now. So listen to this plan. Guys, you're going to have to read your Bibles because you're not going to believe this is in there. This is the plan they came up with. They said, let's make likenesses of the mice and let's make lice likenesses of our tumors. I'm going, that's not really in there, is it? I just, there it was. Now I'm going, well, who was the one who volunteered to make the mold? That's what I want to know. So somebody was the mold maker, and they made them, and then they made them out of gold. So they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send the ark back, and we're going to put all of these sacrificial emblems, these little sacrificial ornaments of golden tumors and golden mice, and we're going to send it back to Israel. And here's how we're going to send it. We're going to put it on a cart, and we're going to take two cows. This is all in 1 Samuel 7. He said, we're going to take two new mama cows that's got babies at home. And we're going to put those cows and attach them to this cart, and we're going to put the ark on the cart and all of these golden items as a sacrificial guilt offering, and we're going to send it back down the road, and we're going to take those new babies, the cow babies, back to their respective farms. And if the cows follow their natural instincts to go take care of their babies, uh, then we'll know this was, wasn't of God. It's just not enough roughage in our diet. We, we know it was, just, it was just an accident. But if it goes back to Israel, we're going to know that their God did this thing. Well, sure enough, they do that. The, you know, the cows are bellowing, it says, and they go back, and they come to a place called Kirith-Jerim, uh, and the people get really excited when they see the ark. Now, listen listen what happened. How many of you think if the ark of God was back in town, you'd be willing to go get it and take it back to the tabernacle of Moses? How many of y'all would just think, that'd be the natural thing to do, right? Can I see a show of hands? How many of you think, yeah, that, that'd be right. Okay, somehow that just went over their heads. They didn't do it. It'd been gone for seven months, and instead they left it at a guy's house named Abinadab, Abinadab, Abinadab. And Abinadab kept the ark for 20 years in his house. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel 7. And the men of Kirjurim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark. Also, Uzo was one of his sons. From that day, the ark remained there the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now listen, 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 listen to some of these applications. 20 years, the very centerpiece of Jewish worship 
didn't get back to the original tabernacle of Moses. It stayed in a house church, a guy named Abinadab. And Saul, who became king right after this, never went and got the tabernacle of God, the ark of God. Now, let me stop here for a second and say this, okay? You say, Pastor, what's all that got to do with? Here's what it's got to do with. 2024, God's given me a word. I I believe several other people around the country have had the same words. God's given our staff a word. Things are going to happen in 2024. Things are going to happen for our church. Things are going to happen in the lives of the people of our church. Things are going to happen in our country. Things are already happening in the world. I'm not prophesying the third world war is coming. But all I can tell you is, guys, the birth pangs are getting closer and closer and closer together, and the birth pangs are getting more intense, more intense, and more intense, and more intense. And most of the church is just like the people of Israel who said, leave the presence of God over there. It's okay. I don't really need it. Listen, we need the personal experience of the presence and power of God in our individual lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our church, if we are going to see the hand and protection of God on our lives. Somebody needs to say amen. Amen. Guys, this is desperate times. So, Pastor, how did you get chosen this morning? I'm not saying God made Craig sick, but I was cooking this last night. I didn't even know I was going to get to preach today. But I was writing this down for a Bible study that we're going to do on Fridays. And I'm convinced God is at work in this church. And I will say, I will say, uh, thus says the Lord, it is, I'll say this as a word that God has given me, and I'll speak it in agreement with our other staff because we prayed about it in staff. God wants to bring revival to this church. When God brings revival to a church, it starts in the individual hearts of the people, and the heart is, God, I want you. Now listen, this is where King David was. And this is why King David, it says in James, that God is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. Because here's what happened. David was just a lad when Saul became king. Samuel anointed him when he was 15 years old that he would become the king of Israel. 15 years later, that became a reality. 15 years later, David, when he became king, defeated the rest of the Jebusites who lived in the city of Jerusalem, and he set apart the part that was called Mount Zion. It was Mount Moriah, was the exact place where Abraham had offered up his son Isaac, but God interceded. It was on that very, very place that God said, David, build me a house. Now, David wasn't allowed to build the temple, but he was allowed to build a tent. All it was was a giant tent. Now, here's what happened. David conquered Jerusalem. He had that done. And then the first thing he did as far as official business, he says, guys, let's go after the ark. And David went to Abinadab's house and through a couple of crisis, but he brought the ark back from Abinadab's house, and he put it 
in this tent. It was called the tabernacle of David. Now listen, let me tell you what God did. This tent didn't have all of the boundaries and the and the rooms that you had to go through in order to get into the presence of God. God had shown David, hey, put it in the middle of this giant tent. He says, and people can come into my presence. David instructed, he, over 2,000 volunteers of Israel maintained the ministry of the ark of his tabernacle, the ark in his tabernacle. He had singers. The scripture says you can read it. He had musicians. He had stringed instruments. He had cymbals. He had horns. And it was 24-7, 365. Worship and praise at the tabernacle of David never stopped. But now here's the thing. So well, why is that such a big deal? Here's why it's a big deal. It wasn't about religious tradition. It wasn't about forms and formality. It wasn't about, uh, you know, traditions of men and women. It was about this, understanding and experiencing the grace and the mercy of God. And guys, that's where God's bringing us. And here's what James uh, prophesied. Here's what James did at the council of Jerusalem. He says, guys, y'all can argue about so many things, but here's what God is saying. In the last days, God is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. Now, guys, I don't think he's talking about a physical building. It's not like every church needs to go out and put up a tent. That's not what he's talking about. But God's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David which is an understanding in the hearts of the people who come in. I can come boldly before the very presence of God because of the blood that has been applied on my behalf. I can come boldly and expect to experience God's supernatural manifestations in my life. Now, guys, I hope somebody in here this morning is feeling a hunger for that. Because that's what God's doing. He says, in the last days, that's what I'm going to restore. The birth pangs are getting closer and closer together. They're getting stronger. And Jesus says, I'm going to build up a church where I am showing up in power and in might. And he says, and it's for their good. And then it's for those that aren't even saved yet. Can I just tell you, some of you have come to know Christ in the last few years. You probably came to this church because you experience something real. All right, I want you to multiply it by 10, because I believe that's where God's taking us. You say, well, what's that going to look like? I don't know. I don't really care. I just want God, don't you? Amen. I just want to see. I would love to have a home group in my home that experienced what Abinadab experienced when the ark was in his house. Can you imagine that? I mean, your home group, your small group, the youth ministry, the children's ministry. God is showing up. The men's ministry. God is showing up. People are getting touched. People are getting filled. People are getting healed. People are getting saved. Not because we're so special, but because why? Because it's God's will and because of his grace and mercy being taught to the people. It's all pictured in the ark 
of the covenant. And that's what David did. He went and got it. He got up, made a house. He got a house. He built a tent, rather. And the mercy seat was the center place. Worship was going on all the time. It wasn't about religion, ritual, or traditions. It was about relationships. And guys, God wants to stir it up. It changes everything. Can I just say this? Man, you, you will never be able to love your wives like they're going to need you to love them. Can I say this too? Women, you will never be able to love your husbands. Never. The way he needs you to love him. Unless you are learning how to let the Holy Spirit fill you and live through you. Unless the word of God renews your mind and guys, can I just tell you, that doesn't happen with a let's just go to church mentality. It happens when you bow the knee of your heart and you yield yourself and you come with abandonment. You come and you see an ark and you choose to celebrate. You choose to bow the knee of your heart and you choose to worship. That's what God's doing. So this morning when Brad called me at 5.45 in the morning. He says, Pastor, you got anything to share? Because he's, he's, he's doing what he's, we've been talking about for the last while. And, uh, and he said, I, I really don't think I'm supposed to, um, excuse me, supposed to not teach my class. And uh, I said, man, you know I'm, I'm always game. <laughs> and I feel like God gave me this message a couple weeks ago. I, I mean, I had some rough notes. But I want to speak this as a word. It's a word for your families. It's a word for this church. It's a word of revival for this city. It's a word of revival for Indiana, the state. I believe it's the word of God for our country. I believe God wants to bring revival. And I believe God's going to raise up some people. And I believe we're going to be part of it. Can you say amen? I mean, I, I want to see SCC being part of the move of God in this area in these last days. I believe that's our birthright. I believe that's God's plan. Can you say amen one more time? Hey, Pastor, what do we do with this? I want you to hunger. I hope there's a hunger getting stirred up. I hope there's a desire being stirred up inside of you for more of God, not a complacency. I don't want to be like those Israelites that said, hey, the ark of God's down there, Kirith Jerem. I don't know what's happening down there, but I'm going to still make my offering over at Mount Gibeon at the tabernacle of Moses. You know, you, I'm just going to give my tithe. I'm just going to give my sacrifice. David says, no, guys, I want you to meet the living God. I want to know God. Amen. From the inside out. That's our thing. Here, here's our invitation today. We're going to sing that song we sang last of the last set. But I want to open up the altar. I want to ask at least a few of you to come and to pray up here, kneel down, and agree with me and agree with our staff and our elders for revival to come to our church. Will you pray that? So, well, Pastor, that, that sounds pretty radical. No, it, it's more than radical. It's absolute. Will you pray that way, though? Guys, remember this illustration. The birth pangs are getting stronger. They're getting closer. Jesus is coming. He is coming.
and we need to be the people that are ready for the harvest. So I want to invite any of you that want to come and just kneel and just pray with your spouse or pray by yourself. And all of us stand, will you stand with me? And we're just gonna, we're just gonna sing this song as a commitment and a worship because this is something that God's going to intensify in our church. It's just personal, intimate worship in his presence. He's gonna do that because he's after your heart to be after his heart. God, let revival come. Let this room, God, all over this house, God, all over this house, God, hear our cries, hear our desires, God. Lord, I know you see in our hearts, God, you, just like you saw into the hearts of your people earlier, that God, then there's some people that said, Lord, I want you. We want you. 
I'm going to ask many of you that are just at the altar and, and even standing in your seats just to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I want revival. I want to see you like I've never seen you before. I want to know you like I've never known you before. Just all over the room, we just say it out loud softly. Lord, I, I want you. I really want you. I don't want to just go through motions. I don't want to have a house that has no power. Lord, I pray for our church. Pray for our church that we'd be a place of prayer and a place of power, God. It's your will, Lord, we speak that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I feel like several of you have people that you love that are really on your heart. You're really burdened for them. You're concerned about them. And we just say, Lord, bring them. Let them see the grace and mercy of God. That's where it starts, the grace and mercy of God. Lord, let these people see the grace and the mercy of God. Let them meet you personally. God, let your will be done. Let your will be done, God. Let your will be done, God. Oh, God, I thank you that you're working. I thank you that you're stirring. I thank you, God, that you're starting stuff. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Sing that again. My heart and my soul setting aside some extra time every day just to press into God's presence. Would you maybe take some of that time as you read the book of Ruth, but also go back and read some of this story and then just let God fill your heart with desire. See, he will do that. See, God says in Philippians that he gives us both the desire and the power to do his good pleasure. So until you have his holy desire to go after him, you never will. But God will do that for you. And blessings come, blessings come, blessings come. In Numbers chapter 6, here's the blessing that these guys spoke uh, over each other. He says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you. And that's what I pray. Shine upon every one of us. Us, we your children. Let it come. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. And all the people said, Amen.
Amen. Amen. This is sweet. God's working. God's working. I just want to speak this as a word to our church. Revival's coming. And it's not so much because we want it first as much as He wants it for us. And as we agree with Him, saying, Lord, let it come. Lord, revive me. Let your spirit flow through me. We're going to be a growing, maturing house this summer, this year. We're going to see God move. We're going to see God restore. We're going to see God bring people in. Almost 30, over 25 people over in this class. We're going to have baptism at the end of the month. We're going to have almost 30 people being baptized. God's working. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Amen. I know it was a lot this morning, and thank you for all you that love history, because that's what a lot of it was, but history is just going to repeat itself for us. Amen? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. We're going to dismiss. I have a hard time landing planes sometimes, but I know we're, we're going to uh, kind of stop and um, just let the Spirit of God encourage our hearts as we go out. We do have, you guys are the best in the world about fixing, stacking chairs. It's incredible. But anticipate God's move every week. He's going to do it. Amen? amen? All right. I know I keep saying amen. That means do it. Do it. All right. God bless you. You are blessed and you're dismissed. God bless you.